I've been lately just kind of reading through Acts. You know, I'm, I'm through with my study through Timothy the last couple of weeks here. As I get ready in, in uh, the summer, I'm preaching through Acts 1 and 2. Um, and then kicking off next year, grow, I'll preach that year, I'll teach that year on Wednesday nights, Acts 3 through 15. And you say, why 3 15? Because there's 28 chapters in Acts, and I ain't getting through all of Acts in, in one season of grow. I may go into the next year as well, but I'm going to go through Acts 3 through 15. And so I'm just doing a lot of reading. And Monday I was reading through chapter 12. And uh, it, some things just hit me. And I thought, yeah, this, this is a cool thing, maybe, maybe not to share with you. A little bit of just how, you know, when I'm reading and I'm studying Scripture, how I begin to think and process. And just really some t- Acts 12 is tough. It really is. Um, to understand the book of Acts is to understand it is a book of movement. That Luke writes covering a period from the ascension of Christ you know, give or take 30 AD, to Paul's first imprisonment, give or take 60, 61 AD, but first imprisonment in Rome. So that's, that's a huge amount of time. And he covers it in a rather short period of time. And books, Acts seems long, but it's really not. And there are several places in Acts that are summations that summarize to get you to the next thing. But Acts is movement. In fact, Acts 1-8 is about movement. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. You'll begin, in, you'll begin in Jerusalem. You'll do Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts shows how they got throughout the Roman Empire. So it's constantly moving, constantly making progress. And chapter 12 is one of those places where, you know, Luke has to decide what he's going to share, what he's not going to share. Obviously, the Holy Spirit leads him. I get that. And he shares something quite interesting. And you come to the, in the chapter 12. I, you know, I, I have this Bible that I've had since before I got here in paperback form and that I like, and it's just falling apart. And I know I've got some new ones in there like this. You know, it's hard to go from, you know, one. It's, I don't want this to sound sacrilegious, but Bible's like, for me, like this, it's like a pair of Levi's, man. The older it gets, the better it feels, and I don't want to give it up. And like my Levi, old Levi's, it has holes in it <laughs> and pages falling out. But I think I can get through a little bit more in this. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them, to kill them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. This Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great. He is the son, I believe, of Aristobulus, who Herod put to death. He is the nephew of the Herod that killed John the Baptist and other Herods. He comes from a long, side, long line of cruel, wicked people. And uh, he was in tie with the Jews. I mean, he, 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 he was not technically Jewish, but he was the king. You know, the Romans put him over this area. He served with a lot of autonomy. He still had to answer to Rome, and eventually, you know, and, and, and he still had a certain degree of autonomy and authority. Uh, but he, 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 he had none of the capabilities of his grandfather. For all his wicked evil, Herod the Great had some things from an administrative standpoint. He did well. This guy had nothing. But he was every bit as cruel as, cruel as his grandfather. And uh, it was about, you know, it was in around the season, I guess, of the Passover and, and 
For some reason, we don't know why he began to persecute the church, probably at the behest of the Jews. And he began to get them and imprison them, and he took one of the apostles, one of the twelve, James, the brother of John, and he cut his head off with a sword. That's what it means. You know what? It's interesting because we know so little about this James. In fact, there is nothing really other than following Jesus in the scriptures of positive things that he did because, you know, like he and John, you know, they wanted to be, you know, sit the right and left hand of Jesus, you know, and, and uh, he was, I mean, he was, he was one of the three main guys, Peter, James, and John. We always talk about Peter, James, and John. James and John's were brothers. They were cousins of Jesus, most likely. Uh, they were in fishing business with Peter and Andrew. I mean, so, you know, the, the, he was at the, at the, you know, transfiguration, when they wanted to build tabernacles. He was at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, pray with me, and they fell asleep. I mean, there's nothing really, we don't ever see him doing anything. Uh, I'm not saying he did. I'm saying, you know, we, we just don't know much about him. His brother, John, we know tons of stuff about John. Knowing that he, that he wrote the Gospel of John, we see a bunch. Um, you know, in Acts, we see him and Peter. We don't see anything about John, James, other than the fact that he gets killed. He's the first of the apostles to die the death of a martyr. And so Herod has him killed, and the Jews really like that. He wanted to get in good with the Jews, so he's going to kill some more. So he gets Peter. But since it's high, one of the high holy holidays of the Jews, unleavened bread and then Passover, he holds off. But he's planning on killing Peter. And he hasn't, I mean, he's got four squadrons of soldiers, four squadrons of four, 16 soldiers guarding this guy. And the church is praying for Peter. I mean, praying fervently. For his release. And, he'll be re- and, and there'll be a miracle occur, and an angel will come and get, and get him out of there. And so I thought to myself, God, why did you save Peter and not James? That's why I thought, God, why? I don't understand that. Why? I mean, it's nothing, I mean, there's, you know, just because there's not a lot of information about James doesn't mean he should have been killed. Why? Why James? And not Peter. And I don't, and I, I, I don't understand. I don't know why. I mean, there are answers. I mean, I know the answers. All sorts of answers to why this happened and that happened. And, you know, you, you think about it, and you read, the church was praying for Peter. Well, the church prayed for James, too. I mean, they probably prayed. I mean, in fact, they prayed fervently for Peter with great passion. We would understand that they prayed for James, why did God answer the prayer for Peter and not for James? This is a dilemma, I think. All of us go through at some point. Why him or her, but not him or her? I get asked that a lot. One of the things I, I tell people a lot is, you know, it's hard to answer the question why. I always look to answer the question who. Who do you trust in these times? But we still want to know why, don't we? I mean, I, you know, I, I honestly, in the last, you know, last year, I want to know why a lot. And I don't get the answer to why very often in my quest, in my journey. You know, and, and I know there, there are certain answers that make sense. You know, there's some doctrinal theological answers that are out there. You know, there's a sovereign God as you control. We have to trust him. And you know, and, and I look at the situation, and I understand, you know, that in the big picture, and one of the things I say all the time, if, you, if life is only about this life, you've missed a boat. That, that 
this life is a prelude to another life. We were created in the image of God to have a relationship with him. Our sin breaks that relationship. Jesus came to give us life. But God is, God is in the business of restoring life so that we can have eternity with him. So I understand that, that in this life, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I am here to serve God till he has me for the next life. And I know that. And I, and I have had to reconcile that this past year with Debbie, you know, understanding that, that whatever he needed from her in this life was accomplished. But what's more important was that her eternity, my eternity, is the overarching matter to spend eternity with Christ. And really, you know, James is martyred, but James went to be with Jesus for all eternity. And so, and, and there's some celebration of that. And I get that. But it still hurts in this life. And you're wondering, why? And I hear people say, well, you know, Peter was delivered because of the prayers of the church. Eh, be careful. Because why wasn't James delivered for the prayers of the church? Did they pray harder for Peter? I mean, is that what God's doing? You sit back there and say, okay. You're praying, but you got to get to this threshold. And you're here. And you ain't there. And that's how we act all the time. God, we got to pray harder. I don't know what that means. We joke about that staff all the time because many of you, have, we don't pick on you and see your face behind your back. <laughs> no, we just need to pray a little harder. I'm like, I don't know what that means. You want me to sweat drops of blood? That didn't work for Jesus. And, 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 you know, tomorrow I think it's the National Day of Prayer, isn't it? It's a Friday. I know that's an important, that's an important day. I get, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying. Prayer, we pray. Prayer is huge. But you can't get to the mindset that prayer manipulates God because that's pagan. That's what the pagans believe. That's what prosperity gospel believes, which is why it's, well, I won't go there. So it can't be that they prayed harder for Peter. Now, the, the prayer mattered. Yes, it mattered. Don't get me wrong. My sin didn't matter, but your solution, just, that can't just be your solution. And so sometimes you just sit there, what is the solution? And sometimes, you know, I'm sitting here these last three days saying, I don't really have a good solution. You might. Except this. At some point, I really just have to trust God. That he sees things in a way I can't. Now, I, I know all the answers. Trust me. Don't, don't, think, well, don't come up to me after and explain the answer to me because I, I know the answers. I'm telling you, I also know the struggle. Because every answer that I have falls a little bit short. Because I'll ask you more questions. You give me your answer, I'm going to give you more questions. Because there's always that, but why? Well, he had more for Peter to do. Okay, why didn't he have more for James? Well, he was through with James. Why? Seems kind of arbitrary. I mean, Peter denied him three times. Seems kind of arbitrary. Why did John and not Peter? I mean, not James. I mean, the two brothers, why pick John? He was his favorite cousin. I don't know. That seemed kind of, you know. Why did one thief accept Christ and the other not? And so you begin to look and say, at some point along the way, in my fallen sinfulness, 
I can't always grasp perfect, sovereign truth of God. I can't always grasp it. I want to. I try to. And I just fall a little bit short. And at some point, I say, I think I'll just trust God on that. I mean, James is meant to be to heaven. 30 years later, 35 years later, Peter be in heaven. I mean, they've been in heaven. To, I mean, Peter got, I mean, James got there earlier, but when you're there for eternity, who cares? And I think about it all the time. You know, Debbie went to heaven a little earlier than me, and, and my only concern is that she finds somebody when she gets there that she was supposed to spend her life with, and I wasn't it, you know? <laughs> what if I wasn't the one? What if she made a mistake and married me? She gets to heaven, he's already there, he's dead. Well, I was waiting for you, you know, that's a big mistake. I don't really worry about that <laughs> too much. So I'm going to read you the end of the chapter. This is cool. And sometimes 62-year-old pastors put two and two together for the first time. Sometimes I put it together. For the first time. And this is cool. Maybe you already put it together. That's cool, but you probably didn't do it in the Greek, so ha. I didn't either. <laughs> Verse 20. Till him with Herod. Peter escaped and all. There's a bunch of stuff to go with that. Now Herod was angry with the people of you know, Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having went over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. And they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. In other words, the area of Phoenicia, what we call Lebanon today, you know, Herod may not have, probably wasn't exactly over them, but he had some influence. And so they were at odds. And so Herod was flexing his muscles, so they came. On the appointed day, by the way, what I'm about to read to you, Josephus writes about also. Josephus and, and, and Luke agree very much. Josephus has more detail, maybe somewhat fabricated, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. On the appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, and Josephus said it was decked out in silver so that when the sun hinted, it glistened, took a seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of man. Now, they were obviously buttering him up. Remember, the, you know, I tell you this all the time. You know, I told you this, I think last week when we were in Isaiah, about, you know, God, the main thing about that first commandment, you have no other gods before me, and that second one, no idols, that's really important to God. It's never stopped. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and died. Praise Jesus. He was an evil man. Josephus says it was an ailment. Some think it was a, maybe an appendicitis and worms. He suffered for five days. And I read that about the man who killed John, I mean James, and that evil, cruel, wicked man. And I remembered, God is a just God. And there comes a time when he gives people the opportunity to repent. And he gave Herod every opportunity to repent. And one time, Herod crossed that line 
for the last time. In a God who sets all things right in this life and in the next, set everything right. And when I read that and I just thought about it, and I've read that passage, I don't know how many times, you know, in life. And I, and I understand, I appreciate it, I think, once. But I just thought of James and how it just seemed, why, God? Why the arbitrariness of it? And then here's Herod. And I realized nothing was arbitrary. Nothing was happenstance with God. That he gave two men opportunities to come to faith through Jesus. One did and one didn't. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. That one man understood he had to come to faith. And one man in his rebellion thought himself a God and never did. I tell you this all the time, going back to the original sin in Genesis 3, the basic sin of all of life is that we want to be the gods of our own life. It's always what it boils down to. I know people say when Genesis 3 was pride, or ego, arrogance, whatever. It didn't matter. They wanted to be God. The serpent said, you will be like God. In the day, that's all of us. We just want to be the God of our life, the Lord of our life, control our own life. And God said, you can't have any gods but me. And that's our problem. We just keep wanting to be God. And ultimately, in this life, and God creates us, and we're born so that we can have that relationship with him. We have the opportunity to have that relationship in Jesus. James died the death of a martyr, which means a witness. James just really finished what he was doing on earth to go be with the Lord. When Peter was facing execution, it was like the night before, he fell asleep. Now, if I'm facing execution the next day, I don't think I'm going to sleep because I figure I'm going to sleep for a long time after that. Paul was in prison, facing death in Acts 16, singing praising God because there was an understanding that this life isn't all there is to life. That God moves beyond it. And sometimes when I struggle with the whys, I remind myself that God is in control of all of it. And so from an eternity standpoint, 50, 60, 70 doesn't really matter. What matters is that everybody spends forever somewhere. That's what matters. But more than that, it's something else that's important that I take comfort in. I don't want people to go to hell, but I want justice done. We live in a world that there seems to be a lot of injustice. I'm not talking about the average everyday person who just struggles. I mean, some people are just wicked and cruel. We have to remember that God will set things straight. He is just. And that people will be held accountable by God. But we also want God to give people the opportunity to come to repentance. 
We want God, you know, I, this is my prayer about, you know, people pray that Christ will come in their lifetime. I don't want Christ to come in my lifetime. Well, if I live to be a couple hundred by some miracle, maybe, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want Jesus to come till every person I've ever known in my life has passed away. Because I want every person I've ever known in my life who is not a follower of Jesus to have every opportunity. And then when that time is passed, I don't care about them, other people, because I don't know them. They're not around yet. I don't mean that to sound cruel and, you know, callous. I don't care. I want the people that I know who aren't followers of Jesus to have every chance to come to Jesus. So I just kind of selfishly like, Jesus, if you want to hold off another, I don't know, 100 years, that'll probably cover everybody I know, <laughs> cover all the kids, you know, all the kids that are here. I've grown attached to some of them. We have two babies here. You know, one thing to end, we have one on the way, has no name, no name kid. Don't even know what it is, just a kid. Could be male, could be female. Maybe they're going to let the kid choose. I have no idea. <laughs> no? You're going to let, no, okay. You're going to hold it up to the light. That's how you're going to know. I'm sorry to pick on you and embarrass you, but I do that. Because what we need to want is for people to come to Jesus. That's what we need to want. And that's what we need to crave. I want to finish off the chapter. It's a transition. This is amazing. But... The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Not added. Multiplied. Through all of this. Think about this. John, James was killed. Peter put in prison. Herod's dead. And nothing that they did stopped the gospel from multiplying. All the persecution in the world won't stop it. Listen, I know we don't like where our country's headed, but let me tell you something. It ain't going to stop the gospel from spreading. You know what stops the gospel from spreading? When Christians stop sharing the gospel. As long as we share the gospel, it doesn't matter the politicians in the schools and all the other stuff. None of that matters. It doesn't matter if they persecute the church. I, I don't, you know, this doesn't matter. Because Jesus will triumph. It kept spreading. It kept growing. It multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had returned, when they had fulfilled their mission. Taking along with him John, who was called Mark. In the very next chapter, you have the first missionary journey of Paul. The gospel just keeps on going. So when I read that, and I'm saying, God, why James, not Peter? And I just realized all of us are here to serve Jesus, to keep that gospel moving, keep that gospel going. And insofar as God will use us will be used. And when he has determined we've done what we need to do, we'll go be with him. 
And we'll all go to be with him sometime who follow him. And I think for some degree, that's ultimately where I find comfort. Is that I trust God to use me for whatever he wants. And then I'll go be with him whenever he's ready. That answer won't satisfy a lot of people. But a lot of people aren't followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, that's where you need to be. However long it takes your journey to get you there, you need to get there. And with that in mind, I'm actually through a little early, which I think is always a sign of a really, really good speaker. <laughs> <laughs>